Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 295. Another critical hit. All right, today uh, we're doing a um, another popular mechanic episode. Julius is on vacation, so this time I have Deborah of Geek Gamers back. Hello, Deborah. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me as a guest. I love it. Yes, thank you for coming along. Um, this is fun. This is normally where we do, instead of talking about a single game or a person or anything, we just get to talk about lots of different games. But we're theming it today around a, a theme which you picked, which was games with uh, variable player stats. You you want to describe it better? Right. Yeah. So I I appreciate you're giving me the chance to, well, not only be on the podcast, but to come up with a topic of, I love the concept of popular mechanics. And I thought initially of the idea that when games have characters in them, the way in which they try to bring those characters to life. So the mechanics that are used around bringing characters to life, typically that means some form of changing like a stat that the character uses so that during the course of a game or during the course of a skirmish or whatever, different things will happen. And, and I was thinking about the ways in which that different games try to do that and sort of in the bigger picture, the reasons why games try to do that. And I think a big reason is because a lot of games are trying to emulate a so-called RPG experience or, you know, having player identification with different kinds of characters. And so I thought it would be interesting to talk about the ways in which various games approach that and how successful or not it is. I think it's really challenging to do effectively. And there are a lot of different approaches to doing it. Um, and so that's that's the what immediately popped into my mind when when you broached the concept of talking about some type of gaming mechanic. Okay. And so so a lot of games will have player boards or each player person has a different board. But they're right. they're very they might be generic where where you control a city and each body has a slightly different city and one city is more uh, touristy and another one might be more industrial so you'd have different stats and you could do th- certain things better but it's not really what we're talking about here I think because because you mentioned so that it has a, a role playing kind of feel and I would say being a city is not really role playing right so I was thinking of. Um, the fact if you're if you're playing characters and your your connection with the game is through a character as opposed to say I'm playing different cities or I'm playing um, I have to think of an example different factions or something mm-hmm. but when it's a when it's a one character or multiple character identification even in a solo or co-op game the ways in which those characters are differentiated from each other. And then also the choices that you as the player make through various leveling up or other things we'll talk about to craft the character to what you want it to be, to interact with the game in the way you want it to be. So if you're playing, to take an example of the game, I wasn't going to talk about a very small game like Mini Rogue where um, you initially choose a card there's one in the base game i think there's four cards you can be the cleric or a wizard or whatever there are a few stats on there that give you little different benefits based on what the character is supposed to be and using those cards and those various characters that you make that choice you're playing a, a single character but if you start out as the wizard you automatically have a bet of spell casting benefit or something like that. At a very basic level, I think that's what I'm talking about. 
but maybe with the games we will discuss here, there's a little more involved. And I think there's various ways that designers have approached doing this to greater or lesser success. Mm-hmm. I find it, I will say upfront, I find it hard to get away from the idea of the dungeon crawl. And, and I think that that's a popular mechanic to use in that style of game because it's Absolutely. so, it's, it, I mean, it, it all harkens back to D and D, right. That kind of pretty much in a way invented the idea of variable player stats. I mean, one could argue that, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Yes. No, I agree. And I have one on my list of games. I have one that is a dungeon crawl, one that is arguably not, and one that definitely isn't. But I, I agree with you that, the uh, tropes of the dungeon crawl and obviously the origins of it is what lends itself to that. But when you look Mm -hmm. at the way this concept has expanded into other games, like something like uh, fortune and glory, for example, where you have different adventuring characters that you're playing throughout the entire world. And it's a kind of Indiana Jones sort of scenario. And there are cards that bring in events that are, that could be things like, uh, a bridge blowing up or somebody trying to take over the a city or something and you have to travel across the world that definitely not a dungeon crawl but similar in the sense that you have you you start out with characters represented by cards and these character types are given attributes that will vary to sort of define the character type so if you play more the librarian scholar. I'm not sure that's actually one of the characters, but if you're playing more of a research-oriented character in that game, perhaps your research status higher or something like that. But yes, you could say it all does harken back to D&D and indeed maybe even the entire concept of a, a board game, which from the classic family board games of our youth, like Monopoly or Scrabble mm-hmm. or whatever, was very static. The idea that everybody talks about replayability and variable player powers of whatever sort or deck building or anything, people want change in the course of playing the game. Mm-hmm. They want the game state itself to change. And so there are various ways to do that. Like for deck building is a perfect example where you're not necessarily, we're not talking about variable player stats, but you're talking about changing the game state. And I think that's really what is at sort of the heart of the modern board gaming hobby could be identified in, in a bigger picture as that, that, that designers are attempting to find different ways to change a game state during the course of play. You know, I even thought about including a, uh, a deck building game in the list because some deck building games you do start with different decks so so in a way it's like different stats but it felt too far off the mark almost to so i left it out we'll see we'll see if you have one do you want to start with your first game sure so i thought i would start with something that is very close to what we've been talking about here historically even though it's a very modern game and my most recent game which is league of dungeoneers this is from 2022 it is a massive uh, Dungeon Crawl also has some party management overland travel game where arguably it is almost more like an RPG than a board game. And mm-hmm. I, I mentioned, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I mentioned it because I think for me, it gets right up to the line of, is this even a board game anymore? Or is this actually a sort of solo co-op RPG with components and where the GM is represented by 
hundreds or thousands of cards and events and things. So in that game, you can play things like an alchemist or a wizard or a thief or a priest, and you have classes and races, elves and dwarves, and these things give you various powers, just like in D&D or RPGs. And you have stats like dexterity and wisdom, etc. And you also have like hundreds of different skills that you can have during the game. And when you're doing something with your character, you're referring to your character sheet, which is very much like an RPG character sheet, but you're playing with standees and you're playing with predetermined tiles based on the quest that you're undertaking from the quest book. And there's like 20 plus in the basic game that you get. And yet it is a board game, ostensibly a dungeon crawl. It's classic moving through restricted space, encountering monsters. You have a boss monster. There are different quests where maybe you have to find something or bring someone or something, but it's, it's pretty classic dungeon crawl. And it fits in a box that weighs like 30 plus pounds. And it is, <laughs> wow. I think, an example of the, a place in our hobby right now is Kickstarter based. I think there were a very limited number of copies that went to retail. There may be a second printing of it, but I think it's an example of an attempt at really making characters that come alive in a board game almost as much as they would in a role-playing game. But there's no GM. It's a completely solo, or I suppose you could play co-op. It's designed where you're managing four characters, but if that's too much, you can choose some cards that are mercenaries and they have their own stats. So it does, on the one hand, epitomize, I think, the limits of what you can do with a board game in terms of giving a standee in a board game the capacity to open a chest, unlock a chest, throw something, dodge out of the way of a monster, hide, all of these different things that are achieved by rolling a dice against your stat. So the stats Mm -hmm. provide the capacity to do that, but it comes at a cost. And the cost is a rule book that's 100 plus pages and a game box that's massive and a setup time that's huge. So for me, it's a question of, It is successful, I think, in using the design lessons of the past 10 plus years and of role-playing games to put them sort of into what is considered a board game, but it's not the kind of game you would just take out and play, I think. It has to be uh, approached and really committed to, and I think that is a part of the hobby that... um, that weighs heavily on me a lot in terms of thinking about how I play as a soloist, because it's a question of how much time do I have to commit to get out of something? So that was the first one I wanted to talk about because I think it does sort of epitomize the, the, um, the, the depth of design mechanism for this mechanic, but perhaps at the expense of playability. Okay. What was the title again? I'd not heard of this one before. League of Dungeoneers. League of Dungeoneers. Okay. Yeah. And you said it came out last year. Uh, it has a yeah. It has a twenty twenty two pub date. I mean, it just I okay. think it just. But it's a Kickstarter, so it's also very, yeah, right. <laughs> very wide open to interpretation. All right. So, well, my first game. Um, I decided to also stick with the D and D trope and just just use D and D. Period. <laughs> there's a lot of if you go back through the years many dungeons dragons based games you know going back to the 80s or even the 70s the first one i think i remember was dungeon oh yeah i have dungeon 
That's okay. Yeah, I have I played it with my kids and they love it. I haven't played it in ages. But I'm gonna use a more modern one. I'm gonna talk about Wrath of a Shardalon, which is a cooperative game. There's a whole bunch in that series. I think the first one was the the Ravenloft one. I forget the name of it. Yes, I have Ravenloft and I have the Mage something, Mad Mage, the okay. more recent one. There, there's a something. bunch now. There's like I think five or six at least. I've I've lost track. I couldn't keep track of them. But I think they're all basically the same. Um you have characters. The, the game will bring, uh, I don't know, four or five characters in it to choose from. They have stats similar to D&D, so they have armor class and hit points and that sort of thing. They they have speed, but you're moving on the board with tiles, and you're drawing the tiles as you play. So, the, so instead of having a static map, you're building the map as you go along. You don't really know what's going to come up, which adds a little bit to the excitement. Um, also makes it more chaotic. It is relatively scripted in that you're going you're forced to keep moving each turn you're drawing tiles or you're just going to get uglier and worse and there's scenarios that come in the box and i don't know how many it is it's maybe 10 ish i'm going to say might be more might be less um besides the the stats it also you can also level up your character which is really neat as you gain experience points you could turn it in later and flip your player tile over and in the back he's now got better stats and um better attributes and things they can do so it's pretty neat that way. There, you know, there's lots of cards for equipment and whatnot. But it's it is a relatively simple game to play. Um, easy enough to set up. Uh, you pick the scenario, you show up all the tiles, you pick your characters, and you kind of just start playing. And because it's random layout, it, it does make it easier. Uh, so I like that one. And I picked Wrath of a Shardalon just because that's the one I have now. I used to have Ravenloft, like I said, but I haven't played them enough to to keep owning them. I keep wanting to play, but it just never happens. <laughs> Yes, I have Ravenloft, which I like, and I also have the Mad Mage one. I'm not sure if that's the title. I seem to remember as you're talking that one of the distinctions of that the 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 one I'm referring to is that they gave more leveling up. So I think in uh, Ravenloft and maybe a Shardalon, you can only level up to like level two or three, and mm-hmm. then in the later version of the you know the later iteration of the game, you could go to level four or five, and you got more things. I think what I like about playing those is it is very easy to get to the table. And that's where, I mean, it's actually a great counterpoint to the game that I was talking about, because in a sense, it is very, very similar in the most generic sense, but you have far fewer details in the, the D and D version of the game that uh, the Ravenloft, for example, or Shardalon, but you might, play that game more because as you say it's very easy to set up you just Mm -hmm. have your pile of tiles and you take them out and you look at your scenario there's also some in my uh i think for ravenloft uh i have a some fan-made material that i threw in there with like a new deck of monster cards so one could use those and it is easy because you have your assigned decks of cards so if you play the cleric you get all the cards that say cleric on the back and it's designed for you in a way i think to give to distinguish the characters and i think that's pretty effective because when you're trying to build in the own your own stats yourself as in league of dungeoneers there is the risk that your characters become too similar whereas Mm -hmm. when a game designer like in the games you're talking about has already gone through and given the certain powers to the wizard, the certain kind of spells to the cleric, it, they do seem more different. And in a sense, like that's what we're looking for is that differentiation. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, 
it's like I said, there's a few games in the series. They're cooperative. You could play it with just one character, but it it's not as interesting, which is you know often true with cooperative games. You're, you're it's they're more fun when you have multiple characters that can interact. But it was also a little challenging with one character, I thought. So it's probably easier to play two. They have it built in a little to be a little bit tactical in the sense of the mm-hmm. monster cards will say, you know, it's going to attack the, the character that's closest or whatever, right, yeah. the card character that's farthest. So I think in that way, while it is scripted, use that word, which I think is really um, apt here, it, it, it does still give you that sense of I'm playing a tactical game. I'm going to look at my four characters and move them into the space in a certain way because I may be facing a monster that is going to attack uh, based on space or whatever. So I think it's really effective in that way because of the little AI that each monster card has that it will uh, run through in terms of what it what it is attacking. Mm-hmm. So it it plays for a solo or co-op game. It, it offers like the, the GM or AI component very gently and you don't have to manage it. It's just right there on each monster card. And I think it's very well done in that sense because... I've talked about this on my channel that when I, as a soloist, when I find myself managing 75% of my playtime is managing bots or something like in a coin game, which technically you could play solo. It's not fun anymore uh, because some games just, I appreciate the efforts to make them soloable, but some games just really aren't (laughs) solo games. Right. Yeah. 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 It it ends up being more work than fun for for a part of the game and, that's something you just want to avoid. Right. And you feel like the the game time is really just spent setting up for you to have a very short turn and then going back to setting up for you to have another very short turn. Mm-hmm. So, yep. <laughs> but in the, in the game, in our Shardalon and that whole series, I think they do that very well, like because of the way it's designed with the little AI scripts, which are short and basic on the monster cards, but it's enough to make them different. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what is, what is your second game? So my second game is also, I, I didn't say on, I looked on BGG to see kind of what, after I chose my games, what the, the weighting of them was. So that League of Dungeoneers is rated a 3.57. Now it's just out. So the number of rating rankings aren't maybe mm-hmm. as many as this game, which is from 2015, another uh, three plus game on BGG, which is Mistfall from 2015 and um, Heart of the Mists, which is from 2016. That is a standalone expansion to a game that it's a card-based co-op adventure game. You mm-hmm. can play, you have to play, I think, really two characters, but it is designed, it is not a competitive game, even if you're playing with the two characters. It is designed to be played against the game. And you have a fixed deck of character cards that will determine not only the stats that you have and the types of attacks you're able to do in any given skirmish in the game but also a really clever mechanic of serving as your health so you have a you start out with a deck of cards i think it's 15 and there is a semi-complicated system of discarding and what's called burying cards and then bringing cards back in the course of the game you take wounds by either burying or discarding cards and if you ever have a situation where you can you have no card to discard to take a wound, you will have lost. So the uh, your whole health is also managed by this deck of cards. But the deck of cards themselves provide the variable stats for the most part. 
Mm-hmm. You do have a character board and each character has sort of one or two things that they can do. But really what differentiates the characters are the deck of cards you get at the outset for your character, providing different types of what they're called uh, fast actions, reflex actions, or regular actions that you can do at various points in the game. And then there's a deck building component as well, because you are getting experience and buying cards and choosing to upgrade your deck with, well, I should say add on to, because you're not really ever getting rid of cards, but you are purchasing cards to give yourself more cards and more health, ultimately, to manage these types of encounters. Essentially, you're traveling through various modular tiles that are revealed locations to do some sort of, essentially, it's a boss fight. There are various different kinds of quests along the way. It's quite a complicated game. The game got a lot of flack for a very difficult rule book Mm -hmm. with tons of iconography. And I have to say that it is hard when you have not played the game for a while. I had to go back and watch not only my own video that I made on (laughs) the game, but someone else's video, which is way better at mine in, in reminding myself how to play because the rule book itself is really complicated. And, uh, do you have the original version of, of the rule book? Did you... Yeah. Cause I, I understand they redid the rule book and it's more clear now. Um, I, sorry, you faded out there for a second, but I think, I don't know if I have the original version. I have whatever came with the, the box. So I okay. don't know if it's, um, But I find that in terms of what we're talking about here with the mechanics, I find this use of cards extremely effective in providing an experience that feels like the character is alive because every choice you make about a certain type of attack or a certain weapon to use or a certain response to a monster attack or an enemy attack it feels like your life is dependent on it because it is in the sense that you're using up a card, which is an aspect of your health. And you're Mm -hmm. using that with a sense of thinking about how can I get that back? How can I save myself? So I think this is a very, while there, the game does have problems with complexity. I would love to see a simpler game, pick up this mechanic. And maybe there is of having the variable stats on cards that are also linked to your health in the game and how you survive uh, in the game because it gives the feeling of having a character that is alive and, and dynamic. And I think ultimately that, like I said earlier, that's what this is all about. So that reminds me of a Gloomhaven, right? Where you also have cards for your, each character has a different deck entirely and the cards are your abilities. So as you play cards out, they, they, they decide what you could do, whether you're moving or fighting or whatever. And as you go through your deck, each time you, each round you play, you take a card out of your deck. And so it gets harder. And, and it's it also tracks your life. So it reminds me a lot of that. So I wouldn't call that easier necessarily. Yeah, I haven't played Gloomhaven, so I, I, I don't know. But I understand what you're saying about that. Um, and I think, again, that these games are pretty complex. So um, it's, uh, it, it, it's a question of how complex is too complex. It goes hand in hand, I think, with some of this. Yeah. Um, so I did not like Mistfall. I also got it when it came out and had that terrible rule book and I tried reading it and it did it did not work for me at all. Um, I, I eventually I gave up trying to play that game because of the rule book. And it's a shame, but I've, since then I've been more picky about games and their rule books. If it has a hard to follow rule book, I'll just 
not play the game and give up on it. And, and then it all harkens back to Mistfall for me. Do you find that you are that more games are like that? Like, are you finding yourself looking at things and then thinking, like, no, I'm not going to do this? That's interesting. I think somewhat yes, and I think some of that is not the games, but me, actually. I am I am finding it harder to read rules. Maybe it's because I'm getting older or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm just more curmudgeon-y, but, but I am finding that is more often happening than before, where I will get an, a game, a big game, and have a giant rule book and, you know, 30, 40-page war game rule book, and no problem, I'll read that, figure it out, and that's great. Now I'm becoming more, maybe I'm becoming more picky. Maybe I'm just less willing to accept uh, less than excellent rule books because there's so many choices out there. That might be what it is, too. Yeah, I find um, that I'm having a similar issue with just the bloat in the games, that they're just, everything is so, so big. And and I think it does get back to what we're talking about here with this desire to have some type of mechanic that provides a dynamic experience. And it's hard to capture that in a limited way. Although for my third game, I think I am discussing one that, does it in a very limited way. It's the lightest game on my list, and I think it's also the most successful at doing what we're talking about. Okay, I, I want to hear about that, so let me tell you my second game then. My game is... So, yes, yeah, so my I'm going to tell you my second game. Um, I decided to go with Arkham Horror, the card game. Mm. Um, that is a game that I think feels a lot like a role-playing game. It doesn't feel like a card game. It feels like a, a, a role-playing game. You, you, everybody has a character. If you're playing multiplayer or if you're playing solo, you could play a single character. You could play multi-handed, I guess. But you have a character. Each character has different stats. Each character has their own starting deck of cards, which is slightly unique, but you're also limited in what you could pick. So some characters have different classes, and that restricts which cards they could choose to play with. Um, other than that, everybody has the same character card pool, but they could choose what they start with. So, so they're just going to have different decks. The characters will feel different. Somebody might be better at fighting. Some might be better at investigating. Somebody could do different types of fighting than another person, just depending on what card they have. And so, so when you play, and because not just the characters, but because of the way the game is set up, you feel like you're exploring locations and wandering around and doing things as a, as a character. And I think that ends up giving a very role-play feel. Uh, the... The deck using the deck of cards, I think, slightly takes away from the role play field. Just managing a big deck of cards, I, for me, I sometimes lose it there. But the game makes up for it in story. And as you do play, it's it's a little different. This is a campaign game, which we, I don't think we've really talked about it as much yet. But in this one, as you play a game, you're going to get experience points at the end that will you then be able to use to to improve your character by ra- raising his abilities, his or her abilities, by their abilities by um by buying better cards more powerful cards or just different cards and so i think that that is a neat aspect of a game that gives it a a role-playing feel the fact that your character just changes over time from game to game totally agree and that's a great great choice i i'd love to hear you talk more about the campaign aspect i will say I completely agree with what you're saying about the role-playing feel and like it really feels like you're exploring mm-hmm. locations. It feels like things are dark and scary and that's a very hard thing to achieve in a game, I feel. In the end, I actually sold mine at a certain point because I just didn't want to keep buying more content for yep. it. And that was my issue. And it was kind of with sorrow that I got rid of it because I felt like it was an excellent experience, an excellent game. 
but I just couldn't continue to put money into it. So I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about like the campaign aspect. Is that something you like in games? And, um, d- you know, is there a point at which you, you're, you don't mind just continuing to put money into something? I think I see boxes of final girl behind you. Yeah. Final, I back the Kickstarter. So I get a ton of final girl and below that down here is Lord of the Rings. And there's two sets of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so yeah, I, <laughs> I bought into the Lord of the Rings card game a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got everything for that. I think. With Arkham Horror, I have not bought as much. Uh, I just don't play that one as much. I like the campaign idea. I enjoy playing a campaign. But again, you mentioned earlier, time is an issue. And right. it's hard to, to keep coming back. I have mainly played that with a, my son and a friend. And so getting people to agree on a schedule gets a little tricky for me. So I don't do that campaign so often. So I don't buy as much content. I, I have the base game and a couple of expansions. And I've played just some of that. And you know I'm okay with that. It's a game where I don't need a, I feel need to be a completist with, which is not true for everything. So if you, if you, if you replay a scenario with a different character, like, does it feel different to you? Yeah, it could definitely feel different. Uh, each character will handle it different. There's different things you could accomplish. Um, when you play a scenario, you're not going to accomplish everything in it, potentially. There's, there's areas you may not be able to successfully fight or defeat, or you have different outcomes. And the way they set up these campaigns, if you if you accomplish some go in the in one scenario, you might get a special item that will help you throughout the campaign, or may have a significant story impact at some point in the game. So it does change the game, and certain characters might be more able to get any given goal than another character, just because it might be something you have to fight to get, or it might be something you need to do some sort of investigation to get. And, you know, if you got a fighter and you're not going to investigate and you're going to miss that part of the story. Right. So, yeah, you could definitely replay it and, and see different things. Right. Or you, this is a game where you get to fail forward. Mm-hmm. So if you lose, you still go on to the next right. scenario, but your your abilities are weakened. So you can't, you may want to try and play again just to do better. Right. Right. I think this is a great example of a game that lands right in the great complexity spot where it maximizes complexity in terms of giving you a feeling and options of things to do, but minimizes it. Like it's pretty easy to set up. I'm trying to remember, especially if you put it away Mm -hmm. with the characters with all their cards and stuff, it's easy to get out to the table in that regard. And yet there is a lot and the rules I think are fairly easy to kind of pick back up again. Yeah. But the actual gameplay is complex and if you're playing, when I played it, I would play usually with two characters, you know, one-handed with two characters, mm-hmm. because I did like that interplay between them and choosing one character that was stronger in one thing versus the other. And it wasn't that hard to get it back out. And I think that that's really so important, especially for me these days, also with time and just memory too. It's hard to go back and face something like Mistfall, which I felt strongly that I wanted to talk about for this podcast, but it took me a long time to relearn the game enough to play <laughs> through a little bit of it to feel like I could talk about it with you, even though it was one of the ones that first came to mind because my memory of it was so strong. Mm-hmm. Yep. What One of the drawbacks with Arkham Horror is that it's also a long game. The, the games I've played take a few hours, like three hours easily. And you know, we've tried playing on a weeknight after work and school, but then my son's, you know, he's going to be up till 10 or 11, which honestly he does anyway. So I shouldn't worry about him. It's really about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be up to 10 or 11 and that's way too late. Right. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's it's it can be hard to get out, but it, I do think it's worth it and it's rewarding. And yeah, the com- there's like you said, there's complexity, but I think the complexity comes from the fact that there's a lot of cards, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of complexity in the strategy and, and planning that meta game that you play be- between games of figuring out your deck. Yes, right, right. agreed, and that also mm-hmm. gives you some investment in your character, as you say, the campaign aspect does that and then just the way the 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 mechanics of the actual gameplay work does that because you feel like you're making important decisions and really crafting something that is becoming a character to do something different in the game to act differently in the next stage of the game and i think again to you know keep going back to the same point that's ultimately what this mechanic is about is to make you as the player feel like something is different from one character to another and the ways in which that is, can be successfully achieved. And in this case, it's through cards. I think there are some games that to harken back to what we talked about at the um, outset of the episode where you were talking about dungeons and uh, dragons and stats, there are games like Hexplore it, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with that, where Hmm. it's um, so stat based that you're given like a, uh, dry erase marker to with your character sheet to change all the numbers and stuff. For me, that game felt totally flat. I know a lot of people love it, but for me, it felt totally flat because it didn't feel like I was actually having a character. It just felt like I had a lot of numbers that I was changing. Whereas mm. in something like Arkham Horror, even though you're given your, you know, you're given out these cards at the outset, or like Mistfall, you're given out the cards for the cleric you do get to craft them and the decisions that you're making are really thematic and thoughtful in terms of things that they give you to do. And uh, Hexport, while I appreciated the attempt there, it didn't work for me at all. Do you play that game? No, I've not played it at all. Not familiar with it. I've heard the name, but that's as far as I've gotten. It was really an effort, I think, to, uh, again, focus on these types of variable stats through numbers changing to Mm -hmm. such an extent throughout the game like i said that the character card itself is like a dry erase so you're constantly updating and changing your your values during the game okay and so you're using dry erase so there's no no actually erasing you're drawing you're using dry erase and i mean there's like a board and it's hard for me to remember because i i haven't played it in a long time but there's it's a board game you know it's with dungeon crawl and tiles and things of that nature i think there's actually quite a few expansions out for now i think it's pretty popular but just didn't hit well with me yeah just the idea that you're you're writing stats and keeping track of that gives it a role-playing kind of feel Mm -hmm. yeah the fact because a lot all the other games i've been mentioning it everything is uh printed on the card already you didn't really choose your stat it was given to you right Right. So was that your third game, or do you have a different one? No. So my third game, okay. the last game, is, for me, the most successful of all of these in this, and that is Dawn of the Zeds, second edition. Mm-hmm. I have not played the third edition, so I'll, I will say that. I play the second edition only. It's a Victory Point Games game that was published, I'm not sure what year. It's a, it's a bit old now. Yeah, it like is, 2013 or so, probably. Yes. It is a fairly, it's probably the simplest game of all that I presented. It is in the States <laughs> of Siege uh, series, which mm-hmm. is essentially tower defense games. They published a bunch like Autumn and Sunset that were historical war games. This is a zombie game where you are defending the town of Farmingdale 
from three or four or five tracks of zombies coming in. And the way the game works is quite simple. You play a bunch of characters who live in the town and each turn you pull in a card that will tell you on which track the the zombies advance and you are in the town trying to build barricades and um, maintain your supplies and things like that. And the characters are, they're all character cards. So you're given a card and everybody just has different abilities. So they don't really change during the game, but it's a question mm -hmm. of how they, how you utilize them. So you have, there's, for example, even a dog in the game. There is a hermit who had, who knows all the secret passageways. There is like a retired army guy who's better at fighting. There's a doctor. It's nothing um, mind-blowing, but the way that the characters interact together really gives you a sense of that they're scrambling around. And what makes that work is that when you're each turn, you are turning over a card, and the card is not only telling you where the zombies are coming, but it's giving you, the player, it's a solo-only game, uh, it's giving you the player and the number of action points that you have for that turn. So you don't really know. You could be all ready to have your doctor in the hospital gaining all the benefits to heal a character and then realize you only have two actions that turn and you really need to use them to stop, you know, with the army guy to stop the zombies mm -hmm. that are about to, you know, overrun whatever. So... Uh, I mean, there's complicated small rules, but the overall way the game works is very simple in that you pull in a card and it tells you everything, you know, how to advance the zombies, how many action points you have, is there a special effect, is there an event, and you go through the card and that's it. And then you take your actions, basing it on what your characters know how to do and how many action points they need to do that. So if you want your dog to rescue somebody and you're setting that all up in the previous turn... As I said, again, you may find that you don't have enough <laughs> actions to do it. But the interplay between the different characters and the things that they can do, their abilities, not stats, but abilities, mm -hmm. and the unknown action points really comes together to make it feel like a scene from a movie almost, to make it give it a role-playing feel and give it a sense if you play with four characters and then the net you play the next game with four different characters i can't remember how many characters there are available but there's quite a few the game feels totally differently and if you put the characters together differently if you put the sheriff with the doctor with the dog as opposed to the you know special cia agent and the mayor it the game feels differently even if actually what's happening is the same so I think it is uh, the most successful of the games that I'm talking about in terms of using, differentiating characters with different attributes to make it feel like a role-playing experience and to make it be dynamic and changing. That's interesting. I wasn't thinking you would have gone that way because um, the, the topic was stats to to give it a role-playing feel so i immediately assumed it had to be an american stuff but you're you're saying they have different abilities that make them unique characters and make them feel like an individual like i assume for example the dog could probably move more than a, a person on their turn or something they're probably faster right and some of them do have numeric stats in the sense of for example uh one character who has like an assassin trait if she roll, she'll get a success on a higher, you know, on more numbers. So mm -hmm. you, you can, I mean, a lot of them are that way or 
the um, there's like someone who can forage for food. And with that skill, when he rolls his dice, he has a better chance of success. So it, it, it isn't not related to numbers, but yeah, even yeah. the way it's presented um, is by a, a keyword, like he has an attribute of science or he has an attribute of martial arts or something like that. And it explains the then the, the way that is impacted in terms of the die rolling. That's it. Yeah. And so, so I hadn't thought of it, but you're right. It is all stats. Cause for example, you said the person has a higher chance of rolling for, for the assassination, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so basically everybody has a stat of two and he has a stat of three, something like that. Right. Effectively what it is. So, so even you wouldn't right. think of it that way because of the way it's presented, it really is a, a stat that, that affects the flavor of the game and, and makes it feel like a role playing game. Right. Or so say there's a research action that anybody can undertake to do something. I can't actually remember what the research does, but it's important. But the professor, when she's doing the research, she gets to roll more dice. So she has a more chance of success, Um, something like that. But the fact that it's just so thematically tied to the character. So, for example, the one of the characters you could play is the mayor of the town and he will only get his benefits if he is in the space that's the town center. So that is just another way of using the physical space to um, in, reinforce the difference um, between the characters and among the characters. Mm-hmm. But it is effectively a different stat because when he's in the town center, he gets to do things that are more that have a higher percentage chance of succeeding. But if he steps away from the town center, thematically the mayor's abandoning the town he doesn't that makes sense yeah mayor hernandez that's that's his name it is mayor hernandez <laughs> yes yeah i have a poster of him in, the, oh, that's in here funny. actually <laughs> i backed that in the kickstarter i didn't get the game i think i already i had an older version of the game i didn't keep it but uh but yeah <laughs> my third game i did i've struggled trying to come up with a third one i have all sorts of games that i've listed and none of them feel exactly right or they feel too much like all the other games um but okay so why not i i said that deck building didn't really work i'm gonna use a deck building game anyway uh a touch of evil dark gothic which i covered a few months ago on the podcast that's a deck building game well no see i don't want to talk about that because it ultimately doesn't feel all that much like a role-playing game with a character it feels like a deck building game well it's funny i almost chose that game but i didn't well no i want to hear what you i want I, I it's funny i don't even think of it as a deck building game <laughs> really no <laughs> it, to me it totally is exactly what it is so it's a you start with 10 uh, i think it's 10 or 11 cards and each person gets a different character i forget if you get to choose them or do it randomly i always pick them randomly and it's a it's a set in the dark gothic universe by uh flying frog productions so it's um like colonial gothic setting again in this game you start with a character. Each character has different attributes, which correlate to the number of cards he starts with of each type. There's four different cards. They're they're different colors. There's three different colors in a sort of a generic color, if I remember correctly. And each character will get a different number of each type of card, but the total amount is the same. And each character also has special abilities on their card that they could do that makes them a little more different than the rest. All the cards have art on them. So, so you see a picture of the characters. So it's easy to visualize who they are, what they look like, that sort of thing. So it, it feels very role-play. Um, but it is a deck-building game in which you're buying cards from a center tableau and adding them to your deck. And over time, expanding your deck. The, the reason I was saying I, I kind of feel like it doesn't work is because 
the the theme is great and I really like it, but ultimately the, the when you're buying cards from the center when you're fighting a creature, for example, it doesn't feel like fighting necessarily. You might use your investigative power to defeat a wolf. And there there's no flavor text or anything to explain why you're you're investigating the wolf and defeating him and adding him to your deck now as a resource for a future. It feels like I use my blue to gain a wolf card that's red that's gonna give me some other different ability. So so it ends up falling apart. And that's kind of why I didn't want to mention. But it, you do have characters, you do have stats, and you do have deck building. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, I was going to say, so, yeah, so it's a dud. I shouldn't have included it, but there we go. You don't win all of them. <laughs> I thought about that game because I love that game. But ultimately, mm-hmm. I, and it is, of course, you're right, as, as I'm listening to you describe it, of course, that is the mechanic of the game, I guess, is deck building in the bigger sense. I don't think of it as that because I think of it as more like an adventure game in the sense of you're Mm -hmm. going to locations and trying to get the cards that are in each location to upgrade or add to your deck and your abilities and things like that. The reason that I did not include it, and to me, it is extremely atmospheric, but not in a role-playing sense. It's almost like more like a movie. You know, you're playing out someone Mm -hmm. else's version of this world and you have the characters that are triggering events and things that happen as you go through the world. But it's there's not to me a lot of feeling of player control to change the world. So each time I play that game, it feels the same, not in a bad way, because I actually think it's quite unique that setting the the American Gothic yeah. setting really comes to life. The different uh, sort of uh, boss monsters that you could fight against, they, they really do feel thematic. I can't remember if they each have their own decks or not. It's been a while since I've gotten it out. but No, the bosses just have their individual cards. individual cards. cards. So, but those feel different enough, and they yes. have their the minions and whatever. Uh, but I don't, to me, to get the designation of feeling like it's role-playing, you have to have agency. So to compare it to, say, Dawn of the Zeds, when you're scrambling around in Dawn of the Zeds, it really feels like you're desperately, through these characters, desperately trying to impact the game world. In A Touch of Evil, it just feels to me like I'm experiencing someone else's world, which I love, Yep. but I'm experiencing that world through board game mechanics and tropes and physical components and stuff. And I think that's a huge achievement. I, it is really one of probably my favorite, certainly in my top 20 games, I'm going to say just because Hmm. it's so unique, but it doesn't have that role-playing feel. Yeah. I think, you know, I think what it lacks that the other games have is you don't get any emotional attachment to the characters. All the other games, I think when something happens to character, you kind of, Especially if you've customized that character or crafted from the beginning, like say with Arkham Horror, and you've chosen all the cards, when the character dies or doesn't go well, you kind of feel that in this game. And part of it is because it, that doesn't really happen in this game. You don't ever risk dying or anything. If you play in a cooperative, either the team wins or the team loses, and or you're playing competitively and whoever has the highest victory points wins the game. And so, so I, I just don't feel the emotional attachment here. Yes, that, I think I right. completely agree with that, that you're right about that. And as we're talking about the game, I'm trying to think of the individual characters and it's kind of hard to, re- I, I remember one of them has a red dress, for example, but it's like, hard <laughs> for me to yeah. remember the different characters that there are, although there are quite a few of them. That's a game that I do typically take out around Halloween time because it feels like you should be playing mm-hmm. that game then. And while I have 
only ever played it either myself or with my kids, I think that would be a great group game, uh, co-op, you know, game group type of game because of the, that, that flavor and theme. Uh, but also it does, there is an element of you are just, you're there watching the game unfold, but not super impacting it. Have you gotten any of the expansions for that game? I got the coast. I know there's a, I think there's a standalone expansion. Oh, there's a standalone. I, I got, yes, I do. I have the coast and I, um, feel like I have another one, but I'm not sure what it is. And I don't, it adds more locations and with the coast, it is the coast. So there's, um, I think there's an element of, there's maybe some cards out at sea. I can't remember, but it's sort of more of the same. Again, not in a bad way, because I do think I like that world and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of gameplay within that world. I am a fan of Flying Frog. I think they do some, well, many of their things, I should say. I think they do theme games and adventure games very well, like Fortune and Glory. I know I mentioned yep. it earlier. I think I love that game. I just, I think it is also quite unique and super successful in what it tries to do. But again, that is like, you're just flipping over the card and being like, okay, what's going to happen next? And can I, <laughs> mm-hmm. can I successfully roll a dice to get out of it? And that's exactly what the game promises. That's exactly what that game is supposed to do. So I think it's very effective, but how much agency do you have in that game? Again, I think not, not so much. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I do have a couple of the small expansions too. I can't say I remember them too well. They they did change the game up a little bit, and I do know it added some flavor to the game. But I, I, right now, I couldn't tell you what that was. So yeah, so that was a game that didn't work. But let, let me sneak in it since I since I gave a dud. Let me get, sneak in a game that does work kind of better, but it's also a bit similar to everything else and yet different. Which is Ambush. That's one I had thought about including. Oh the wow! What a great war choice. Game for yeah, and that one you you have eight soldiers. You're I think it's eight that you're playing with, and each one has different attributes. There's four different attributes you could play with that you play with, and it's you know you're playing solo, you're playing eight characters, so that kind of is going to feel like you're not in a role playing game potentially because because you got too, so many characters. But there's a story that you're going through in the game. You're exploring the map, and things come up, and it triggers specific events and whatnot. And sooner or later, a character dies, and you feel bad for that character. You know, so so there is definitely emotional attachment there, and that that is a neat game that does have a, a bit of a role playing feel for sure. It's a little hard to get and a little bit expensive now, but I think they're redoing it or something like that. I seem to remember somebody's going to reprint it. I might be oh, wrong. Oh, that's I I did not know that. I think that is a it's a super unique game. I love that game. It's a great choice, and I think the other thing about it is as a paragraph based game, it's surprisingly fresh. <laughs> when you when you play it and another one in that vein is the uh voyage of the bsm pandora which is also a paragraph based game that feels fresh about exploring planets and things and you you do have characters i wouldn't put it in this category ambush i think you have more differentiation of the characters than comes across in voyage but um the the wargaming world i wish would go back a little bit more to investment in this kind of thing. Yeah, it's. I remember reading an article, an interview with John Bowderfield. He said he would never redo this game because it was so much work and so difficult. He says, you know, I, I'm just absolutely not interested. <laughs> so I think if anybody ever does redo it, it, they'll do all the work for him. 
because it's 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 yeah, it's a super cool game, but it's a lot of effort, right? All these paragraph-driven games must be just so much effort. Even like a uh, Tales of Arabian Nights that just has a lot of flavor text and paragraphs, or Agents of Smirch, or any of those things. Yeah, uh, I haven't played that one, but I I I know what you mean in terms of the effort, and also to make it cohesive enough, but also expansive enough, it is it's a ton of work. I don't think Ambush will ever be duplicated, and that was um. That was a really good good choice. I didn't see coming from you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's another game, Open Fire, is supposed to be based on Ambush. I think oh. maybe I'm not sure. It's a tank game. I have it. I haven't even opened it. I bought. It. I found it used at my game store, and I bought it, and it's still sitting in shrink till I get around to playing it. And I think that was at least inspired by Ambush. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's a. If that's not the one, I'm pretty sure there is a tank game. I'm not familiar with Open Fire, but I will. Um, I will look into that. There's another game called Firepower. Speaking of old war games, I can't remember the date of that. Firepower is an old war game where you do have individual characters. You have individual everything. It's basically giving you the capacity to play out all sorts of skirmishes over hundreds of different years. Of um, it could be Korea, Vietnam. It could be in medieval times. You could make up your own scenario and. There are, um, it's a real classic kind of overkill with just tons of tables and things, but there are, there are meant to be individual characters in that, but I, I think they sort of get drowned. I mean, it was a good effort, but I think they kind of get drowned out by that um, typical like 1980s war game rules and stats and things. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It, it, the game is Open Fire that I mentioned. It does have a, it does seem to have a sleeve according to BGG and a card to put in his sleeve. So it sounds like it is at least similar to Ambush somehow. And more accessible. I, I I never heard about it as much as I do about Ambush. So I'm guessing it's not as good of a game in that sense. Or just not as, I don't know, not as interesting to people. Just because I haven't heard it, people talk about it as much. All right. Do you have any other, any honorable mentions? I snuck one in. I have one honorable mention, which was almost one of my, uh, on my list, but that is Dungeon Degenerates, which is a more recent game, although at this point it's a couple of years old. I don't know if you're familiar with it, no. but it is a it's an overland game, somewhat similar in a sense to uh, games like A Touch of Evil, where when you go to you have location decks for each place that you go to on the map. And it has a very unique, I don't even know how to describe it, artistic presentation that is not necessarily to everyone's taste almost like a punk kind of uh thing it's not classic fantasy like weird monster punk i guess is the best way to describe it and it is it has an rpg feel they the characters do have various stats and they interact with their cards in that way i didn't choose it simply because i i felt i had other things i wanted to say about other games but that that does take some of the game design choices for this type of mechanic and implement them really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with that one at all. You know, you, you said something that made me wonder, did I mischaracterize, misname the game I said before, the Dark Gothic Touch of Evil? I Just to be clear, I'm not talking about the board game. Oh, you're talking about Dark Gothic. Dark Gothic, yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe I forgot to say that part before. That is that is a very different game. Than very different. Evil, and that is a deck builder. <laughs> yes. But it's called Dark Gothic, it is, A Touch of Evil. Right. And that's, yeah. Okay. Well, so I probably just m- messed that up. <laughs> but yeah, there we go. That, that, 
And it doesn't change anything that was said anyway. <laughs> no, although now I understand why you call the deck builder. Yes, that is a deck builder, and I have that game, and I do like it, although it's not one of my top favorites. I think okay. uh, that one, it's funny, because I feel like, does that have a built-in solo mode? I feel like that game is not really... Yeah, you just play solo uh, against the monster, and your goal is to defeat the monster. Mm-hmm. And there's a, I forget what it's called, there's a, a deck that cards go into it, or discard. Yeah. And if that ever fills up with 10 discarded cards in that pile, you lose the game Right, recently. right. Yes, yes, I see now. Uh, well, most of what I said about Touch of Evil holds. In yeah. terms of that one, I would agree with you, though. That I feel like those characters are super generic, and um, they just they do have just like the different the green, the blue, the red, whatever numbers. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, yeah. I don't think that rises to the level of what we've been talking about here in this podcast about this mechanic of variable power players. That's just, it's yeah. almost like the default now. Like, sure, you have different characters in the game. They're going to have some different numbers. <laughs> yep. It has it has all the, the keywords we talked about, but it doesn't have the flavor. It doesn't have the feel of it, which is interesting. So, all right. I mean, I think we're done then. We've we've gone through and given you three games uh, plus a bonus. <laughs> and I, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this, folks. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Anything else you want to add or say? Or no, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. I love talking games. And I, um, I thank you for having me on. And I look forward to uh, continuing to think about games with this theme of mechanics. I think it's a nice... Uh, and unique approach to talking about games. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. All right. Until uh, next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.